around the NFL podcast. Quarantine, more like Quarantweenies. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL podcast. I'm Dan Hansis. Heroes here, Greg Rosenthal, Mark Zessler. I actually, this is interesting, okay? So this morning, Tuesday morning, Money and I, we do our power rankings taping as we do every week. You can check that out on NFL Network every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. And after we finished taping, uh, one of our producers, the great Matt Tanton, I believe it was, rolled in with a piece of paper and said, hey, we have we have money tags to read for the ATN show. And uh, Money, who's been doing it now, you know, he's the voice of God of the show for eight years, nine years, almost 10 years without a single cent of pay. And I think it's starting to get on his radar a little bit. I'm just saying it now that, I, you know, I'm there. Anyway, I get to watch him uh, record uh, roughly, I'm going to say 50 money tags today, including that one. And we got some real bangers coming out. So thank you to everyone who sends in uh, money tags uh, through Twitter and at Ricky. Uh, good element of the show. How, how much do you think we'd owe him over the course of the entire show? I mean, he's doing 50 at a time. Um, mm. I feel like we owe him thousands upon like, thousands of dollars. We probably do. But money is, I think, sneaky rich. He has, he has like 14 jobs. He's very smart financially. Remember, we even had a short-lived uh, bit on this show where uh, money talks money. Right. Uh, and Are we you used sneaky the Pink rich Floyd when your song. nickname is money, though? I don't know if, it's, I don't know if right. sneaky is the... Right. We just don't um, know. But. So I think he has a bunch of investments in the water. I mean... I mean, he has maybe, the most popular yeah. drive-time show in Los Angeles for a decade or whatever it's been now. Uh, he's he's a, the voice of the Rams. He's, he's got a, a bunch of jobs here. The Chargers, I do, sir. I do think – or the Chargers. Wow, what a what a mistake. Uh, that's I mean, the great fi- J.B. Long, yes, by the way. J.B. Long. My friend who I'll be hanging out with, <laughs> Summer Solstice. Get ready. But just think of the exposure we've given – uh, that's like how they pay, you know, how you pay interns or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, well, this will be great exposure. You, or you go on radio shows, exposure. Like the, the audience that, that money has been introduced to is it's irreplaceable, well, that value. Th- that's perfectly said, Greg. How would, you know, uh, 15-year-old guys in eastern Norway know about Matt Money Smith without our show? Right, like Petros and Money, big-time show in Southern California. Wonderful show. Uh, but what kind of range does it have in Wales? It's It's limited. <laughs> Just, just by its nature. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, big show coming up today. The wild card round officially in the books. Kind of a dud. Let's let's be real about it. The last chance we had was Ram Cardinals. Uh, we are all three of us were at the games with our friends and family. Uh, at the game with our friends and family, and we saw an absolute slaughter. And this was an interesting stat I saw on Twitter or a little uh, tidbit that there were six wild card games played and not a single one of them had a lead change in the second half. So what that tells me is we're due, boys. That we're due for the divisional round, which is always the best uh, weekend of football of the year, to be an absolute haymaker, of like haymaker after haymaker of classics. Well, and what? to, to t- kind of talk about Mark's theory throughout the course of the season in general, which is like he has no time for teams that aren't real threats. Uh, we just got rid of a lot of teams that had no business being in the playoffs. It, it almost felt like most of them. And now we're with eight teams. And I, I know, like, the Bengals face some long odds here. But 
It's like, couldn't you see any one of these eight teams winning the Super Bowl? Absolutely. All four of these yeah. matchups are great. It, it's it when you have no upsets, and in the 49ers was a mild upset, and then you have a bunch of blowouts. Like you're, that means the next round should be all the more better. Yeah, the football collective took the trash out. And I, I, I can even remember back to, you know, Sunday night where I was, there was a part of me thinking that it was kind of delightful and chaotic that the Steelers were beating the Chiefs and might maybe even knock off the Oof. Chiefs. What a, what a mental state I was in because, I, like, we are dealing with the teams we want to deal with now, and the lesser has-beens, and we saw one last night, um, are out the door. Right, because uh, there were no real upsets in the first round. That means there's not that divisional game where it's like, all right, there's one game that we kind of know what's going to happen because a team snuck by in the wild card. No, this is going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait. We've had championship games like that over the years. I do not think we're getting that in any in any way, in any matchup this year. And I like to bring up the power rankings again. Apologies, but I have the Rams as my number eight team. And like you were saying, Greg, the Rams could absolutely win the Super Bowl. Did you see the Rams on Monday night? They're number eight. Yeah, but like there's seven really good teams ahead of them. Like really good teams. I'd I'd put them ahead of the Titans and the Bengals and, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe the 49ers probably. All right, so six to eight, whatever. Um, All right, so speaking of the Rams, they had to take out the garbage. And we don't want to be cruel. These are the humans involved with the Arizona Cardinals are not garbage humans. I don't know them personally. Maybe some are, but overall, not all garbage. <laughs> However, the team by the end of the 2021 season was trash, and they were treated as such at SoFi Stadium. Set it up, baby. Chase Edmonds is the back next to Kyler, ready to call for it. Three to his right. Takes the snap, sets the laces, bounces in the pocket, hit from behind, flips it forward. It is intercepted, intercepted, a pick six. David Long Jr. plucks it at the one. Oh, boy. Well, this wasn't technically Monday Night Football, but it's our last chance to hear the song for a while, so we'll roll with it. Yes, that was the nail in the coffin for the Arizona Cardinals, who no-showed. In Los Angeles on Monday night, 34-11, the Rams roll. That pit six. By, by the way, so I went to the game with Zumwalt, diehard Cardinals fan, as, as listeners of the show surely know. And uh, he wasn't confident at all entering action, but excited, as he should be. You get a chance to see your team in a playoff game. Uh, but just watching the way that game started, the Rams had 21 points before the Cardinals had a first down. That's what we're talking about. So this is a game that... The better team obviously won and moves on, and the Cardinals a lot of questions. Mark, that pick six that we just heard from the great J.B. Long, I'm going to think about that one for a long time when I think about Kyler Murray because I know a lot of the heat's going to be on Cliff Kingsbury, but that pick six, ooh, that one's going to stick to my ribs when I think about where to put that guy in the conversation of quarterbacks. Yeah, I think we need to quiet. Um, we need to grow to a hush when it comes to offseason MVP concepts and projections and sticking Kyler Murray into that conversation again. He's not there right now. And if anything, I give the Cardinals credit for closing their story in appropriate fashion because they've essentially been like a vessel screaming towards Earth for the past month plus. I've not wanted to believe it. I thought they could do a little bit more last night. But Kyler Murray's performance was was a heightened version of what we've seen for weeks and weeks where the offense looks so out of sorts. 
And I guess you can just say, look, they don't have DeAndre Hopkins, so they weren't the same. But that tells me a lot more about who the Cardinals are in general. If you lose one guy, this is happening to teams all over the league. I think this is, there's a lot going on here. And it was a rough, rough night. And to me, I came out of it thinking that Cliff Kingsbury, who is 16 and 43 as a college and NFL coach after the seventh game of a season, needs to learn how to manage Oof. an NFL season. That is a startling statistic. And I know we brought that up before, but Kyler Murray's star has fallen right now. That play encapsulated everything that's been wrong with them. And I kind of wonder, from a Cardinals angle, how do you sell coming back with this same offense next year, this concept, this playbook? Because it seems figured out, or at least seems to not last for a full season. And the Rams... I mean, this version of the Rams can win this Super Bowl and any Super Bowl. I thought, I mean, if you got what you got last night, mm. all the players they added, the OBJs, the Von Miller, Stafford throwing four. Are you getting on a new vessel, tonight. Sessler? The yeah, Rams vessel? I was honestly vessel? thinking, is this my new pet team? But I'll only doom them if I do that. So I'm going to just hold <laughs> off. But massive respect. And I brought my son, Colton. And Colton said to me two things during the game. He said about eight minutes in, he said, this Cardinals offense is just not very good. I was like, bingo, you're right. <laughs> what, when did the Cardinals turn into the Lions? Get it in it the just, booth. It's pretty amazing because we all have gone with our kids, too, to hear what they have to say and to be at that experience. It was incredible to be at the game. Like, it was the, honestly the coolest thing I've done as a father with Colton, I think, in like a decade. And he became a Rams fan because of how stellar they, they were perfect last night. They were pristine. You don't see teams play games like that. Yeah, you want to get uh, fans, Los Angeles, to to join you for the next generation, just like win playoff games. I mean, that's that's what got my daughter Ellis three years ago. She went to the Cowboys one where they won a playoff game, and she went from a Bucks-ish fan to a Rams fan. And then last night, enjoying that one, Walker's a Pats fan, but he he's he's joining in the the Rams party. We're up in up in the five hundred section. I got the binoculars out, and that you know, there's one thing about being up there i think it's great you essentially get the all 22 if you want to watch the pass routes or you can do the binoculars and you can get kind of the end zone angle and watch the line play and that was what in walker's <laughs> like, watching i just say through. another advantage yeah. is if you're also in the same section it's you could watch cheaper. greg rosenthal use binoculars yes which i, <laughs> I heartily endorse go people ahead use, you know a lot of people use binoculars at football games although okay, grandpa. Not, not a lot at, frankly not at in the rams cardinals yeah. no not maybe not at the rams cardinals the mismatch when the Rams were on defense in terms of their defensive line is what makes this team different right now than it was in October and makes it similar, I believe, to what they were at this point a year ago when they didn't really have an offense. The offense on Monday night was okay. It really wasn't great. They punted four times in the first half. They had three three and outs, including twice where they got the ball at the 50 or in or in Cardinals territory where they didn't do anything. It was It was all about that defense to me and Von Miller's played his best game as a Ram three games in a row now he was dominant Gaines and Ashawn Robinson I kept keep mentioning are winning their matchups and when you watch Donald get all this attention like okay that helps like now Von Miller gets a one-on-one matchup against uh, a struggling offensive line and, and that's where it started we, we can get into how bad the Cardinals are and and definitely the collapse but I, I just think they were overmatched uh, in terms of their offensive line, especially even if Kyler had played well. They had been relying on Kyler to pull magic out of his uh, keister the last month or so just to get any offense going, and they didn't have it last night. And I give the Rams defense a ton of credit for that. Give I give them a the chance Ra- this week, too. 
Yeah, I think they do. I think they kind of match up well with the the weakness of the Bucks, which might be their offensive line uh, after the events of Sunday. I think the this is a big uh, confidence builder for L.A. after I, I would imagine they were a little bit shook, even if they're not going to tell you after the 49ers came back on them in Week 18 and stole that game. So now you kind of you got your chest out again. You're feeling really good. And I don't think they're going to be intimidated by the moment. I think Matthew Stafford getting that first playoff win, that's a positive thing. And it's interesting. You're absolutely right about Von Miller. He went from being a bit of an afterthought in the initial weeks after the trade, and I know he was still getting physically right because he was banged up at the time, to now being a guy that, that's showing up time and time again, not just in the box score. But, yeah, when we're in the uh, the real-time all-22 seats, you could see the game in a different way, and you could see how active – he was. So Miller has been, that was a smart trade. It's been working out. And Odell, the Odell trade is turning into one of the more difficult trades to kind of make sense of because in somewhat, like we were killing Odell last week. And if you look at his numbers, they're still not great, but he certainly has brought another element to this offense. And he's been a God save uh, for them because with Robert Woods going out of the lineup, but He's not the, I think maybe it's like recalibrating expectations a little bit that he's not going to be that all time game changer he was early in his career. But he does bring things to this team, whether it's in the red zone, he could pull off a trick play, he's still got great athletic talent. So he brings an element to that offense that wasn't there. So I think those two trades and, and the team be less need and Sean McVay being aggressive and going all in as the social media account told us has paid off here and it's made them a better team. I'd give you another name too, Cam Akers. I mean, Cam Akers and Sony Michelle, I mean, they ran the ball at a higher rate early in the game last night than they have all year. Cam Akers, watching him live, I mean, to come off an Achilles injury, which, you know, that's the one that kills running backs for, you know, multiple seasons. He looked explosive to me. Um, he's a total X factor for them down the stretch. Sony Michelle has been good for them, but they have much more balance than they were able to have at other times in this season. Their offense, to me, like, I don't need Matthew Stafford to throw for 450 yards. You've got to find different ways to beat teams. And I love that Akers, who I thought would have maybe been like a top five rusher this season with the way I thought they would use him before he was injured, is back in the mix. And to have Odell and to have Stafford when you get the good game from him, this offense is pretty fiery and excitable and almost as excitable as one of my favorite things about the game in general was the female actress, <laughs> Nita Strauss. She's got her number one hits, but it, every time you're at that stadium and they cut to her, I always text Dan, like, she's on fire cranking these songs. I, I love know. the in-game experience for that reason alone. I'm a, Does Simone know about this thing that's going on with you and the, the blonde guitar player at, at SoFi Stadium? Well, she, yeah. No. Does the guitar player know? I mean, no. I, I saw she her in the parking know. lot in the NFL media parking lot leaving the game, and it was almost like seeing Did Spider you hear Man, that, Spider Man, just like out of their natural habitat. It was just like, oh, you you what? exist in another world <laughs> other than just shredding uh, on the big screen. Was she was she carrying her axe around? And no, Mark also wants to know what is her license plate number and her. state. Right, license plate, state, um, you know, social security, and just like a general like make on the cars, sedan. Sure. Uh, what are we talking, SUV? Hey, let's hear Cliff Kingsbury uh, sounding sad and forlorn and totally confused about what to do next. You know, you come out uh, against a really good team and don't do anything right for the first two quarters. That's what's going to happen. i got to give them credit. They played a great game, and um, we didn't do much right coaching or playing the, the first half. Why do you feel like this team came out like that? I'm not sure. Um, that's something we got to figure out. You know, that's what those guys are talking about in the locker room. Um, 
got to use as, as motivation and, and uh, come back stronger from it because um, that's not indicative of who we want to be. And uh, unfortunately, that showed up tonight. All right. So, so with Kingsbury, I think his path is pretty clear that he's going to be okay this year, I imagine, and then he'll be on the hot seat next year, and they're going to need to show that they're not going to fade again. If they fade again, my my guess is they start over. The Kyler Murray thing, and and you could tell me that I'm going to be too hard on him here, but I I, I, th- I'm, I think I'm start, I'm starting to waver on Murray here, and it's it's for two reasons. Because you could say, well, he wasn't the same once again after he came back from that injury, so maybe he wasn't physically right. Okay, in that case, that's back-to-back season that that a somewhat undersized quarterback has been compromised uh, by a very physical game. Or you could look at it the other way and throw take the injury or the possibility he wasn't healthy out of it and say. Okay, he lost his number one wide receiver, but then could do nothing to make a team better. And it's like Joe Burrow, to use an example. Joe Burrow is the type of guy to me, you could take Jamar Chase out of the lineup, and I think he'd still move the team. Tom Brady, obviously, it's proving. You take some guys out, he's still going to move the offense. I'm starting to wonder if Kyler, mm. for all the hype and how, how exciting he could be as a player, is ultimately been overrated by us in the football cognoscenti. You've been the one pumping him up the most. And I wonder, well, that's what I'm saying. And I wonder if that interception in the end zone is going to be remembered as a turning point in his career. Wow. I have a bit of a hunch. Man, I disagree so hard. Because Zumwalt's been tough on Kyler Murray for for a while about his size. Is he all out at this point? I mean, that would have been a... That was like he's cold he's case never really spot. been all in, so yeah. Okay. But uh, th- that's this was more the first time I had like sincere doubt about him. I know that's not really a popular opinion because everybody's going to come after Cliff Greg and say he's the problem or this is the problem or that's the problem. But I'm starting to get in a vibe. Eventually, the finger is going to end up at QB. Well, but then make it clear that you're pointing. I guess I I disagree so. Have hard. I not made myself clear uh, just now? Right. I I I disagree hard because I think the best way to evaluate these guys is over 16 games. For instance, like his year-end QB index ranking, just as, a, as one way to do it. As a rookie, 13th. Really good for a rookie. 10th his second year. 7th this year. He's a third-year quarterback who just played a terrible playoff game. Like we've seen many young quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and, and many others start their playoff career terribly. Now, am I worried about the marriage of Kingsbury and Kyler? Yes, because I I think that with the talent and with what was around Kyler and Kyler's abilities that ultimately you you can't have this happening because I disagree on that. He didn't lift his team because the only times they moved the ball over the last five weeks and and I've been banging this drum is Kyler Murray making like huge big time plays and everything else is like a four yard throw to Ertz. Now, does does Murray bear some responsibility for that sure but i he sort of won that game in dallas by himself he put up second. greg the, that was the, the only time they won for the entire right, but he season put up, after my he came point back is the not much is happening within the natural progression of the offense and i do put that more on cliff when i see kyler have every trait possible not just the arm strength but generally the decision making and the running and again like I said over a 16 game schedule like he has improved steadily every single season that's what we want and and I thought he it's not like I thought he played poorly down the stretch for the most part like he made some big time mistakes once they were trailing games and last night was an absolute fiasco but I tend to not put too much more on one playoff game or even two playoff games 
um, than I do a whole career because I think those things tend to balance out in general. I mean, I, the, the way one way I agree with you, Greg, is that I think we just naturally have a human tendency to isolate the results from the quarterback. And it's it's like the way that an offense runs, it's like so systemic, it's so environmental. He's packed into something that might not be advantageous for him. I wonder if he's in the wrong offense. It's it's like also their offensive line issues were horrendous for him when he came back. And all that business, there have been injuries. But I, but I don't like I, – I also look at the Kyler Murray experience. He's had some incredible plays and he's done Kyler Murray things, but – I, I would think it's a little bit shaky for me, too, that like this suddenly is a guy that we still look at as an MVP. I, I just don't right now. But I mean, no one no one. I mean, people put it in in preseason articles like they did with Matthew Stafford every other year, including this year. And well, he's what about never, in week nine? You right. He's never he been that guy. I guess in week nine. I did. Right. He, he absolutely was. And then he struggled down the stretch. But he's also how old is he? Twenty four. I mean, he's younger than Joe Burrow. That matters. That matters to me. Like, like the fact that he's a third-year quarterback, I, I have major doubts about Kingsbury, and we've had a lot of people, including Spice Rack, who thinks he's one of the worst coaches that's ever gotten a head coaching job. I, I don't think that's played out that way, but I do think it's absolutely fair to say whether he's the right coach for Kyler Murray. And if they did fire him, I think, and they had a, a great idea of where to go next, I wouldn't kill him for that. You know, it, w- it would feel like a, a Josh Rosen type of move out of Arizona. Like, I'm not even totally 100% convinced Kingsbury's back. If you want it to be bold and you don't feel like he's the guy, okay, do it, I guess. I, I, that's what I think they I, I think they should. If they have doubts, if they think that Murray faded and the Cardinals faded down the stretch because of the coaching, you you know, you have a finite amount of time to really cash in on this guy and he's on his rookie deal still. I just, I just, that's kind of to me a little bit predictable in, in the sense that I kind of knew this is how it's going to play. Every, all the, all the blame's going to go on the coach here. And it's and not maybe all. That's he had where, a terrible game and the team was yeah, bad but, by the end of the year. It was a meet. I just, it was a I, poor team by the end of the year. Including I think Kyler what Murray. you're saying is what basically everyone else is going to be saying as well. And I, I just, I don't know. There was something about the nature of the way this season ended that I don't know how you can't be a little bit nervous about Kyler based on how things ended. I mean, he melted down last night. That's he, a concern. He did. He did. Well, what about Steve Kime, who seems to escape all critique all the time? I mean, it's like this, the roster looked good at one point this year, but I think last night was the cap, the capstone of like, there's issues when the when there were injuries. There's no one to fill in. There's depth problems. I mean, I just I think he's done a pretty good job, Steve Kime. But he's part of this soup too. I don't think anyone's blaming. It's you can't just blame the coach, the quarterback, and then no one else. This is a team that failed. I mean, J.J. Watt had it right. A massive failure. My my thing is more sample size. I really do think the the season in it, in the overall trajectory of a career is more instructive than a game like Peyton Manning for instance and I know he's I don't think he's going to be Peyton Manning but I think we've established he's probably a top 10 quarterback three years into his career which is incredible to find one of those Peyton Manning's first three playoff games 19 for 42 loss 17 for 32 loss 14 for 31 41 to nothing loss uh you know that and, and I'm and I know we didn't have Twitter back then and I know some quarterbacks play well in the playoffs but I just it, it was one game on a bad Cardinals team, and it's crazy because five weeks ago we might have said this was the best team in the NFL, and over the last five or six weeks they were like obviously a, a poor team, which is great. It is crazy that I tournament. try to. I guess I just my final thought on is I try to avoid these spicy takes that you would maybe see on certain talking head shows. Um, but I don't know. I just gotta. Maybe it was being at the game. Maybe Zumwalt in my orbit. 
maybe this, maybe that, but we'll see. We'll we'll see where they are this time next year. Um, but Kingsbury obviously is a part of this conversation. He's it's a big part. Um, all right, that is the wild card round. But we have so much more to get to right after this. All right, welcome back. It is time for a guest. And listen, like the rest of the world, we are caught up in Bengals fever. We want to get closer uh, to this team that's become, in a lot of ways, America's sweetheart here. So we brought on a big gun. He's senior writer and podcast host covering the Cincinnati Bengals and more for The Athletic. Once was dubbed the man who set social media on fire. (laughs) I don't know if he got any of the New York Times money connected to the athletic that's not that's a question that will come it's pronounced daner and don't you forget it paul daner jr welcome to the around the nfl podcast what's up thanks for having me on guys all right so paul you have been covering the Bengals for a decade so you're kind of like as the rest of us are trying to come to terms with the world in which cincinnati is producing the most exciting football team in the country What's it been like for you as someone that's covered the team so closely and been through the highs and lows, mostly lows? I mean, it's kind of, as people got to witness on uh, Saturday night, become as much as it's about Joe Burrow and it's about the turnaround, it's about the excitement of the team. Saturday night and was the culmination of a season that in many ways has been about this city uh, mm. that has been as everybody heard by now, 31 years without a playoff win. But it wasn't just that they had been 31 years without a playoff win. It's that they had all been heartbreaking in the fashion in which they had gone down. You guys are familiar with that. I I miss Wes because I always love talking to him about the Bengals and his angst over how things had gone down every time (laughs) I would see him. And uh, he would get so fired up about it. Uh, and, and, And so you guys know, I mean, those that follow the Bengals know like that the city is so hung up and, and and frustrated by this like black cloud that hung over them because no matter what they did well how many good draft classes they turned out how many big regular season games they won how many shrewd moves they made it was always invalidated by the last line of yeah but you didn't win a playoff game every single time and so for that to be gone to no longer have to discuss the 90s Bengals or the meltdown at Paul Brown or any of the uh, Carson Palmer's injury and Kimo Von Olhoff, to never have to discuss that again and just talk about the future and Joe Burrow has been a game-changing, not just night, but season for the city. And now they can all, it can be about them. Now it can be about that team that is so exciting to watch on the field. Yeah, when Zach Taylor said, Everyone can take a deep breath. I almost thought, oh, man, this is Zach Taylor again. You know, play being almost a little tight in the moment. I thought in terms of how he coached the second half of that game and that the whole point of it isn't to get over relief. But it seems like he actually had a pretty good finger on the pulse of the city, and that's where he was getting at. It was just seeing him and Burrow back-to-back with Burrow with the tinted shades kind of being like, I expected to do this quicker than we did. This is nothing. Let's go on. That's a big dichotomy. But you spoke about the the fans, so I just wanted to follow on that because it seems like the fans are incredibly confident, and I'm including the Wesseling brothers in that, of which you could be 
one. Just the looks, you know, with the facial hair and the shaved head. You could be a Wesleyan brother. It almost feels handsome. like this, this Bengals fandom, though, has gone the complete other direction where they're expecting them to go to the Super Bowl. There's a lot of confidence with this team right now. Oh, there is. I always like to say bald is the new hair, by the way. It's in. Okay, So don't, don't even forget about that. But the, the thing is, you know, the, it is amazing in the lead up to that game, a city that was so scarred, a fan base so scarred to expect the other shoe to drop, didn't have that at all. And I suspect, I said, are, is this city suppressing its emotions? I've done that before. When I suspect something bad, I'm feeling something bad inside. I just talk over it with optimism a little bit. It felt like that was happening because they didn't want to think about the idea. But also, I think the city, the same way the team, follows Joe Burrow's lead, and he just changes everything. You know, you talked about him downplaying it afterwards. I mean, he's basically partially that's him i mean that's who that guy is he is the type of guy that is very calm and and he's going to be always thinking about bigger things but he also i talked to a bunch of people about what is the it factor what has that tangibly looked like and the, the line that always stuck out to me from that was he just has this innate feel for human dynamics and human interaction and what people need, what every person needs and how that's different. And when somebody needs a pat on the back, someone needs confidence, someone needs a stern look, whatever that is. He knows that this the team needed to settle down and understand that this was not a big deal. And he was trying to project that out to the team in the same way. Of, this is not a big deal. You know, this is the expectation. This is what we are going to be. He called it today the bare minimum going forward that they'll win playoff games every year. And I think everybody kind of looked at it and said, yeah, I think I believe that guy. I think he's right. I think it is the bare minimum here going forward. Well, I, I love what you say about his leadership. And, you know, I'm a Browns fan. And a year ago, I was sitting in this place thinking, we're the team from Ohio that wiped away all these terrible talks about the last time we won a playoff game with Bill Belichick beating Bill Parcells in the early 90s when I was in college. Now it's the Bengals. And I think they, their star seems to be so much higher. I mean, one of the reasons that West dropped the Bengals, the primary reason that I thought it was, was ownership. It was the way the team was run that like, you know, every other team in the league is dug in on real scouting services. The Bengals are doing something from 42 years ago. Like they were not active in free agency, but now they are. The team is building. They're drafting well. You look at this roster, you look at the quarterback. Do you think that ownership at this point is in the deep distance that the way the Bengals can operate to have the bare minimum be playoffs every year, the thing that annoyed West, would he look at this team differently and say, I'm not so concerned about how it's run because this is a rocket ship just taking off at this point. I think so. I mean, Joe Burrow covers a lot of franchise warts, organizational warts, and he's done that. Um, That said, they have performed off the field differently in the last few years. I mean, you can't look at their last two off seasons and say that they've looked like the same old Bengals when you look at the amount of money they spent in free agency. And a lot of times that can be, you're, okay, free agency, I'm going to flush about half of that down the toilet, but hopefully the other half turns out good. The Bengals hit on almost every free agency move that they made this offseason, and some that were very controversial, and then they hit on the most controversial maybe pick of the entire draft, at least most talked about, uh, leading up to it uh, between Jamar Chase versus Panay Sewell and what that has turned out to be for them. And and you have seen a different feel. And now you have players that love being here and they love every aspect of it. And, and I think ownership has skewed 
younger. They've brought in the Blackburns, uh, you know, you know, Katie and Troy Blackburn have even brought in their daughters now who are involved and have played a big role in reconnecting with the fan base. It's been a two-year journey for them to try to do that. They've done new uniforms. They've done Ring of Honor. They've made a huge push, spent a ton of money on their social media and on improving their game day experience, all things that they deservedly were ripped for forever. Um, and, How about and get a practice kind of facility? All those that boxes would be good. Off. And I think for that, it's come, they've come a really long way. <laughs> um, you know, I wish, and I hope he is, maybe somewhere listening to all that, because I, that was kind of going to be my follow-up question. Like, what tangible steps were taken to change an operation that felt like it was stuck in the dark ages, and I guess getting younger, different voices in there has, has made a big difference. And, and Zach Taylor is another guy I wanted to ask you about, Paul, because, um, you know, he was something of an unknown entering this year. Even though he had been there two years, we weren't seeing a lot of growth. Obviously, the Burrow injury was a killer last year in terms of the development of the team. And I really like this, uh, your colleague, Mike Sando, the Cook Index, which is, by the way, great name, great hook, mm-hmm. uh, where you actually can statistically see how uh, a switch got flipped uh, with Taylor and this offense and how they became more aggressive starting with that bad overtime loss to the Niners where they they marched down the field and then kind of got cute and ran it twice and then failed on third down. And and he said he lost sleep about it. And you wrote about this and check out all Paul's stuff on The Athletic. And, and it's not like lip service or a, or beat writers looking for something to a narrative to craft. It's there in the pudding. They completely changed the way they ran their offense. Yeah, and it wasn't even as much about what happened in overtime, which was part of it. It was watching what Joe Burrow was in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. He was that next level, truly elite guy. And part of that went back to they finally felt really comfortable with his pocket presence, pocket movement, and his confidence back there. People don't realize, I mean, yes, he's been playing all year, but he's still had to mentally been working through the knee injury as the year has gone along. I mean, when you remember when he came out of LSU, his pocket presence back there was his superpower. It's, it's, it's what separated him. And he wasn't able to really totally be that guy throughout the first half of the season. So they protected him. They had a line that wasn't great. So they protected him with a game that was, they had very run heavy game plans. They knew they could still win that way. They had enough guys, Joe Mixon, whatever they could, their defense was playing good. They could win that way. Well, as it went by and particularly at the end of that San Francisco game, you saw, okay, Burrow is all the way back and he is, playing lights out let's lean into this and they didn't just lean they leaned all the way and opened it up and 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 that's early in games really getting after people throwing the ball and what happened I mean Baltimore Kansas City you saw it even early they get up by letting Burrow throw it and they they play from ahead they've played from ahead in all of these four games in a row that they've won as he's kind of been on this heater and that's a big part of just saying just go all the way in on on realizing that Burrow is going to be the reason that we get there. Yeah, I know the line isn't great, but he can overcome that. He's proving right now he can overcome that. Paul, yeah, I have a the- question for you because, like, you know, I, this is all wonderful news, very sunny. Uh, we're all enjoying the, the journey. But, um, you know, like the average beat writer, I mean, typically the games, the travel, you know, the, the endless stories would have ended for you about two weeks ago. Is it slightly annoying on some level that if they go on for another three or four weeks, you're just taking it work-wise? Tough question. you got to oh, answer it. There is no doubt. 
I mean, I used to say, because remember, I covered this team from the 11 through 15 run where I had the perfect job because the team was relevant (laughs) and interesting. I got to talk about the postseason instead of talking about the draft in December, and then they lost, and I was immediately off to my offseason. Right. They took the first exit out of the playoffs. It was the perfect setup. (laughs) And and now here I am wondering, like, am I going to be working into February with this? So, uh, But you know what? The way it goes now, though, full – season it's like the, the cycle doesn't end if it ended if they would have been out then i'd be doing mock drafts and everything else so what does it matter anymore right it's like it's like those patriots reporters over the years mike reese and tom Curran. they like put in three extra seasons compared to most writers very quickly because i know i know we're gonna have to let you go i do just want to get a little bit of a look at this game and, and what you think are the concerns because i'd be i'm concerned now that i'm kind of rooting for the bengals the the line play on both sides and the coaching, frankly. So that's three things. But especially the the, the coaching matchup, but the line play on both sides uh, with the injuries on the defensive line and just generally mat- matching up that offensive line against Tennessee's front. Like, how, how do you think the, the Bengals can overcome that deficiency? Because to me, it does not, it, that part of the game looks like a pretty big mismatch. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, the trenches is is going to always going to be this team's issue when they reach the highest levels. I mean, they can overcome that with their weapons against uh, teams that that aren't as dynamic in the interior. But you know, from practice today, they look like they're not in anywhere near as bad a shape as we thought they would be on the defensive line. They did lose Larry Ogunjobi for the year. You know, Mike Daniels was on the practice squad all year, and he hurt his groin earlier in the game, so it's not a huge deal. Um, they. Trey Hendrickson looks like he's probably trending in the right direction. That's massive. Um, Josh Tupa, who was a really nice situational defensive tackle they have, uh, is going to be able to step in. It looks like probably that helps lessen the blow because B.J. Hill has played pretty well in Ogan Joby's as a rotation guy. So I don't think they're as beset on the defensive line as you thought. And you know, they were a team that was pretty good against the run this year. So I, they've always kind of felt that was maybe one of the strengths of themselves defensively. I think you can point to that on the other side, you know, they've just struggled against teams that have really dynamic interior pass rushers as you, you know, because they're just not good enough there. And so Simmons is a nightmare scenario for you. And you just got to find ways to try to take him out. I felt like they've done a decent job playing in this division, getting practice at it, dealing with teams with great edge rushers, miles Garrett, TJ Watt, they found, and then Crosby again, last week, they found ways that those guys, maybe they win a bunch, but they don't kill you. But what, what does seem to hurt them is when they have the guys in the interior, they don't really seem to have a ton of answers there. So Simmons care, certainly scares you more than anything. But then you say, I don't know, you got Burrow. And it's sort of like the answer to every single question with this team right now. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, Paul, and thank you for joining us, buddy. And follow Paul on The Athletic throughout this whole journey, both throughout the season and then into the offseason. If the Bengals do knock off the number one seed Titans on Saturday, I think they become the biggest story in football. And then that's a pretty good place to be as a beat writer, I would imagine, especially when you've been in the darkness, uh, like uh, when a certain linebacker ran into a tunnel when he thought a game was over and it wasn't over. <laughs> Those days are gone. If you want me to come back and tell Vontez Burfick stories for a while, <laughs> oh, please, I will do that. Please. But you might want to, uh, I don't know, are we good on censorship? Because they're not pretty. That sounds like an awesome off-season podcast, to be honest with you. Just like the the memoirs of Vontez. All right. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Appreciate it, and good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Paul. There goes Paul. And I'll tell you what, uh, Ricky, that is one of those – Guess where it's like, all right, you put him in the good side oh, of the he's ledger. He's already on a list. Yeah, oh, he's on the list. He's on a list. And, we got and, a Cincinnati a guy. List. 
I interrupted Dan saying he was good. So I think we all agree that (laughs) that was, you know, and he does feel like the, I'm sure that the Wesleyans, there are probably other Wesleyan brothers out there. They had so many kids. You can't keep track of all of them. Maybe he is a Wesleyan brother. We just, we don't know that. that (laughs) Well, there's also some conspiracy theories that some of them aren't Wesleyan brothers, but that's, you know, that's again for an (laughs) off season uh, podcast. It is telling to me though, you know, Wes was so out there about not being a Bengals fan, but I don't know if he's having in-depth uh, conversations with every team's beat writer. You know what I mean? So, right, it's like, right. I mean, he, he was with some. To be fair, to be fair, he was with with some, but he, he was he was tracking the Bengals much closer than than most teams. And you know what? And and Greg, you and I were texting a little bit about Wes yesterday and how you feel his absence always, but certainly in, in certain shows, playoff time, of course. And I was just thinking to myself now. Um, as Paul was explaining the changes that the Bengals made, I wonder what Wes would have thought about that, having that insight from someone uh, who has ear to the ground there. Um, but it's certainly, it can't, it, it can't be from futility and poor decision-making to all of a sudden the operation running smoothly without changes happening behind the scenes. So, But, you know, at the same time, I think it's important to point out that the quarterback can change everything because the Cincinnati, for all the, the, the Brown family distrust, uh, they were going to the playoffs every year. They just didn't have a truly dynamic guy out front, and now they do. And that's, I mean, a Patriots fan like you, Greg, knows better than anyone. It changes everything. I did and- not hear a single word that you just said. You and Greg are having separate uh, text conversations uh, with me not involved about things that matter to us. What's what's the uh, dynamic here? Why is that occurring? <laughs> Greg, do you want to take this one? No, I don't. I no, don't but it's better I mean, just, just leave like- it o- hanging, leave it open. Well, I, it is it is left out there hanging, and I will I'll think about it, you know, roughly twelve times a second for the next two or three days. <laughs> All right, let's, let's. I love that. Let's take a break, and uh, we'll hit some news. All right, welcome back. Before we get to some iTunes listener feedback, let's hit a little bit of a league news as the personnel carousel that popped in my head while I was sitting in the five hundred section at. SoFi Stadium yesterday. Personnel carousel. Not bad. That's that's what you're thinking about at live at the game. I like it. It just happened. It's, it just yeah. popped in there. You can't control that. That's yeah, good. when you're when you're an artist, like a real artist. <laughs> like when the inspiration comes, you just have to be open to it. I consider that that's like part of your job. Just like I had open. Zumwalt with me and and I just got up in a in a panic and just like sprinted away and he just nodded his head and he's like that's an artist at work. I mean, Zumwalt at that point is just in a fetal position, so he's accepting any artistry that will come his way. I mean, that was an apocalyptic evening. All right, so, but, but yes, as I said, personnel carousel. Mike Mayock will not be returning to the Las Vegas Raiders in the capacity of general manager. The team informed Mayock uh, that they would not be signing to another contract. I think his contract was up. I think that was... So I'm seeing it's fired. It's a little different when you just... You move away. That's kind of like we parted ways. Anyway. That doesn't matter. Career record 25 and 24 uh, in Mayock seasons with the team. Their first playoff appearance since 2016 and their only playoff appearance since 2002. Weathered the storm, numerous on and off the field controversies. Remember, Mayock, remember how mad Mayock was on Hard Knocks when 
Antonio Brown froze his feet in the cryogenic chamber. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a long time ago. (laughs) But uh, yeah, then, you know, the Henry Ruggs tragedy uh, earlier this year, of course, the John Gruden situation and his resignation after the offensive emails came to light. And Greg, I guess, first of all, sorry about your bad luck. Uh, Rich Bisaccia, because I think the one chance that he had to keep the head coach job was probably Mike Mayock sticking around. But uh, it almost feels like once Gruden got shipped out of town here, uh, it meant that the whole thing was getting blown out, really regardless of how the season turned out, which was kind of successful. Right. They If this wasn't enough to keep Mike Mayock's job or Rich Bisaccia's, and I, I think Bisaccia has a fraction of a chance to, to get that job. You, you never know. Uh, then nothing, nothing would have. And it's unfortunate. You, you think about Mayock, who's, you know, in his early 60s, coming from television. You know, he started that late coming up. Like, th- he knew this was his one chance. He, he was obviously appreciating this one chance. And he had a mixed record uh, over the three years. Wasn't good in terms of the first round picks was quite good if you look at some of the guys that they got later in the draft and even some of the moves this year, like picking up Casey Hayward and, and Ngakwe and Crosby turns into this great guy. It, it was a mixed bag at best for Mayock overall. But if you're him, you're also thinking John Gruden um, screwed me over. He add Mike Mayock to the innumerable people that that John Gruden ultimately let down because if if they made the playoffs with John Gruden... I tend to think Mike Mayock's probably back in that same role next year, uh, but it didn't work out that way. I mean, I'd also add that when you look at the draft history of Mike Mayock, and, and look, it's obviously spotty. He had 13 picks in the top 100. Two of them are probably viable players on the roster right now, but a Oof. lot of those picks were Gruden's picks, or at least heavily influenced by Gruden. It wasn't like Mike Mayock was in a separate personnel department giving the coach his players. I mean, there's always collaboration, but there are a lot of Gruden picks in there that Gruden is not held accountable for right now. I kind of just feel like they inherited a huge mess. And this team this year was imperfect. We all see that. And they've, 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 all, every GM is going to miss here and there on picks. And maybe, maybe Mayock's record was you know, lower than some, but they created a playoff team. And I, I, I kind of just feel it's unfortunate in, a, in just the way the job goes. I'm so with you, Greg, that... It had Gruden tugged them into the playoffs and all that had not happened, Mayock would still be here because he's done a pretty good job of adding talent compared to where they started. I just I, I find it to be kind of just like the, the hazard of the job of a GM. Well, it's tricky because, again, as we were told that it was 51-49 in terms of uh, control of the team, the personnel, Gruden 51, Mayock 49. So yeah. at the same time, when you, when you say that, you know, you can't – you ding – Mayock for all the bad moves they made in the first round, and there were many. You also can't fully say it was all Mayock that uh, ended up landing some of these later round picks uh, that turned into really quality starters. Um, and Hobbs was it, another one this year. Diablo looked pretty good. They brought in Darren Waller during Mike Mayock's run. I Darren don't know who Waller, gets credit for you, that, but the, the slot receiver Renfro, that Greg Renfro. was very slow to come around on, but I now it's hundred. That was season. the worst evaluation I've ever made it, uh, on this show in my life. Was you Hunter did that because of his hairline, and I and yeah. I won't uh, think Hunter it Renfro. could be anything else. But um, I think in a lot of ways, yes, the Raiders were imperfect, but the job opportunity was imperfect for Mac. But you understand why he, he ultimately. Jump to it. He's 63 now. He was 60 years old. He was the king of Draft Mountain on NFL Network and doing a great job with that. 
and he had this opportunity to join Gruden and go for a ride, and he and he took it. But I think ultimately, when you're a, a, a personnel guy, you kind of want to have control of the ship and not be in that type of situation, especially with someone that's kind of uh, is I don't want to say volcanic, but someone with an ego the size of John Gruden's. That seem always seemed like a very tough situation to be involved with. So I wonder if if Mayak if he does want to stay on the, this side of the sport, if he looks for a situation where he could actually have more say, I don't know if he gets a big chair, a GM chair again. Uh, but if he tries to take this from a different angle, I think that was a unique opportunity. I don't know if it's going to come up again. doesn't mean he, he couldn't possibly get a personnel job somewhere in the league, not as a, as the top guy, if he wanted to go that route. But yeah, I, I feel like we've been kind of, you know, burying the, the, you're at least not talking about the elephant in the room, which is what does this mean for Daniel Jeremiah? Because uh, I think that's that's what I thought Im- immediately upon this this news. And you know he is the smiling assassin. Uh, he is Jeremiah, a guy that will uh, pat you on the back as he rips your heart out. Um, <laughs> so you know the first thing he did probably was text Mike and you know uh, say hey, sorry about how things play out. You're the best and all that. But at the same time, I'm sure his second call was probably the head of NFL Network and basically said, back off. Don't even think about bringing this guy back in the building because this is my world now. I, I'm prom king. Yeah, I am slight, prom king. A slight king. projection. A slight projection. And we, we don't know that that's how this played out. I actually but, heard it. You know. I walked by a conference room, and I can't say it was definitely moved the sticks, speaking to the highest of the shadowy league figures. Mm-hmm. And you actually could hear, I'm prom king, bitch. <laughs> now, was that Jeremiah? I can't say for sure, but it definitely had the, the tone. I mean, it could be a lot of people at NFL Network based on what we know about a lot of people at NFL Network. So, yeah, but he, he fits the profile. I also wonder what it, what it means for Derek Carr because at this point, like, where is, the, where is the overwhelming interest from Mark Davis to sign Derek Carr to a five-year extension? And it, I think, it, you know, we already know from Ian Rappaport and reporting in general, it's going to – the environment's going to change so much. New general manager, new coach. What are we promising them if you're Mark Davis? What what power do they have? And where does it leave Derek Carr? I mean, I think it's like I wouldn't move on from Derek Carr because what do you, it's move on to what? But I, there seems to be trepidation to just hand him a big money extension. I, I, well, there's just no there's no wording around it. There's no whispers. Well, I thought Ian's report. You know, parsing it was really interesting that he said it would be a mutual thing. And he did make it clear that the contract was a big part of it, that Carr wants more money. He hopes Basaccio is there. Uh, but Carr's been be. arguably one, one of the most underpaid quarterbacks. Now, when he signed his deal, it was top of the market. People thought they got paid too much. But it's gotten to the point where he's the 20th, 23rd you know, quarterback in the league. He has one year left on it. This is that offseason where it's kind of you know, you make a decision on Derek Carr or not. So the timing of it is interesting. And I think Carr will push to get more money and to get some commitment to not be, you know, floating in the wind this offseason. And maybe the new coach, whoever they hire, like, loves Derek Carr. I feel like that's a very realistic possibility that they're like, hey, we can win with this dude. Let's give him the money. And Mark Davis goes along with that. Uh, We'll have plenty of time to speculate, but just for fun. I can't stop thinking about how the Steelers are going to make a move. Derek Carr in a Steelers uniform actually checks yeah. some boxes. For it kind of works. It kind of works. I'm with it you. It fits. And Mike then the Tomlin, Raiders, I think, would like him. I, the whole they, thing makes sense. I think he he kind of matches what they're looking for. Uh, and at the same time, the Raiders now that they're going to bring in a new uh, team builder and most likely a new head coach, 
do you want to start building with a 30-year-old quarterback or your own guy that you develop? There's something here because there has to be somebody that shakes loose to move the quarterback market. And if it's not going to be Russell Wilson, maybe it's Derek Carr. I got another one for you. I mean, I, I think we can't identify an owner who's more steamed at his quarterback right now uh, than Jim Irsay uh, on the lines, of course, Carson Wentz. What about Derek Carr teaming with Frank Reich? They're both very religious men. I think they see the world the same way. Um, he, I think he could maximize well, Derek so is Carr. Carson Wentz. That, I don't know. Yeah, but that's. I'm just saying that it's he's not. Bring, you're not bringing in some sort of like rebel from the countryside. I think Derek Carr is amenable to you know, coaching. And on top of it, like Frank Reich, for all his skills, has been lodged with three different starting quarterbacks over three years since Andrew Luck vanished into the mist. I mean, they would love to get someone like Derek Carr who they can sign for, you know, the next five years and actually have consistency under center. I mean, Steelers fans, especially older Steelers fans, have had a lot of great things in their lifetime. So it's not like they don't deserve a little time rolling around in the mud with the rest of us. Thank you. But even... Even the Steelers don't deserve late period Big Ben into Carson Wentz. If or the in, musical chairs turned out that into, way. Well, or no. into uh, Mason Rudolph. I mean, the Athletic wrote that all signs point to Rudolph getting a chance. To which oh, I that's say, such <laughs> I don't believe that. Right uh, until until player X becomes available, or they you know behind the scenes was that your Big Ben left? B. I don't know what it was. It was more. It was more like that would be the most evil thing to happen to Steelers fans. And yet, I don't believe it. Mike Tomlin, in, in his press conference today, said Haskins and Rudolph have put themselves in position to compete while also saying, you know what would be really great is having an athletic quarterback, having a quarterback right. that moves. Mason Rudolph, not exactly the first guy, hey. or Dwayne Haskins, that springs to mind when you think athletic quarterback. Actually, I have Mason. I have uh, Ben Roethlisberger on the line right now. Hey, Ben, what do you think about either Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins as the QB1 come week one? <laughs> okay, well, he would love it. He would I love think it. very limited clear. vocabulary from uh, Big Ben, from what we know. All right, that's that. Before we close, Ricky had a good idea. It's been a while since we've checked in on the iTunes comments. Everybody, it's very important in this podcast game uh, for the shows to show growth and uh, build uh, juice within the industry to bang those five stars on iTunes, leave comments. It really does matter. It's weird, the metrics game uh, in our podcast world, and it, it matters. So if you could do that, if you could do us a favor and leave a comment about the show, uh, positive or negative, we don't really care. No, flood them. Uh, flood them positive right now. If you've made it to this far in the show, you better be positive. Yeah, no, we be, need, be truthful. We need a few um, positives. All right, well, that's, that's, ooh, that's foreboding. All right, Ricky, you, you uh, the, the boys here, we have not seen anything that... Uh, on on this uh, side of things with the comments, you're going to pull some out and read to us. Go ahead. Cool. Start with you want to start with a good one or a bad one, guys. Whatever Ricky wants. All right, Ricky, cool. you, you're pulled, the captain. I pulled a, a bunch here. So this first one is love it. Five stars from Cyclone Seven Two One. Listening to Going to Sleep. Favorite pod. <laughs> okay, well. A little bit well, of a backhanded compliment. Like, fine uh, as long as someone you five, want to be with late at five night. Five stars. Know? We don't. Yeah, you can say what you want. We're like okay. that a big throw pillow that you used like to rest your aching hip at night. Absolutely. Like the pregnant, you know, the pregnant woman's pillow where it's curved like an like a yeah. soft. Oh L. yeah, I want That's, one of those. Oh, those. Pregnant, the, but I, so I mean, I was using we it more than it, the pregnant woman. So. Yeah, um, I'm a, I'm thanks, a pregnant Dan. woman right now. <laughs> okay, the show that made me love football. Five stars. Ethan Osborne, twenty. 
I've listened to the show since the first episode when I was 13, and I'm still here oh, for no. the heroes. Miss Wes every listen, but still feel like the ATN crew are a part of my life. Might have to lock it up as the best football podcast, nay, best podcast. Good comment. Hey, That's a great comment, and we miss Walk Chris Wes. That's Wesson. crazy. We've taken him from middle school into almost college graduation. I never right. thought, I mean, it's it's one of the great blessings that we're on one of those shows that people use to mark time and, and the right. march of time and, and a ceaseless march that will end with a mark in the ground. He, he and started the rest as a virgin, and that's probably not the case now. <laughs> well, hopefully. Um, this one, <laughs> goodbye, one star from Mad Kingslayer. And the comment just says, I've heard enough. <laughs> <laughs> Did that say MAGA Kingslayer? Is that yeah, what that was? Yeah, right. This one. <clears throat> True football nerds from hair tie with a bunch of numbers. Five stars. Are they 13-year-olds in their parents' basements talking about football? Or are they grown men in a podcast studio importing football wisdom to the masses? Either way, they are fantastic. The knowledge these men hold for the game of football is only the second reason I listen to the show. The first is their chemistry. They are like the Beatles of football podcasts. Of course, Web- Wes's absence is felt, but the way these three keep his legacy alive is powerful. Shout out to my girl Erica, too, who is a pioneer for so many. You are the star that keeps that. this thing shining. A millennial <laughs> female listener. All right, Thank I like Jet. that. Mm-hmm. The only problem yeah. with the... and We, uh, we got to go, but the only thing that... Uh, the Beatles thing was always tricky because that means someone's Ringo. Yeah. And then it just gets a little awkward. I, Although, I think the it, idea of chemistry over knowledge, though, is an apt one. Knowledge, maybe not like the first thing no. that you need from us. <laughs> yeah. it, it's there, but some chemistry. Yeah. And by the way, if you watch that Let It Be documentary on Hulu, like Ringo, Sneaky the Coolest Beatle. So maybe yeah. it's that. All right, Mark, you also, can be Ringo. There well, you go. Still, I am not Ringo, first of all. Suck it. But like, he's still alive, so I'll give him that. <laughs> all right. Good. All right, we got to go. Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, We'll be back on Thursday with a preview of all the games to come uh, in the divisional round. Pound for pound, the best round of football all season. Thanks for listening, and remember, heed the call.